electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, what the best investments of the new year are likely to be and why some say the rotation from growth stocks to value ones is already over. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Pete Najarian, and Jenny Harrington, the CEO and Portfolio Manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Let's take you to the wall, as we always do. Check the markets where we do have a strong start to the final week of the year. All right, let's talk about the state of play, guys. Got stimulus. Goldman ups its Q1 GDP forecast now to 5% from a prior 3%. You got some talk even from Dr. Gottlieb, that maybe you're seeing this wave of the virus start to peak nationally. Tom Lee says if that's the case, you could have another violent move coming in epicenter stocks, he says. Quote, there could be fireworks this week, and he is talking about a Santa Claus rally. Jim Labenthal, you agree? I do agree. I do agree, Scott. Um, I've thought for some time, I've expressed it to you and others, that I think are going to have an end-of-year rally here that carries through to the middle of January. There's simple forces at work here. You've had an up year. People don't want to take tax gains this late in the year, so there's an abeyance of sellers. Um, then you get into January. You've got bonus money, 401k contributions coming in. These sorts of years usually crescendo into late January. Wouldn't be surprised. I'm with Tom Lee on this. If you get a correction in the first quarter, maybe late January. But for right now, you got to ride this. And uh, today, today, actually, excuse me, on Thursday, uh, Christmas Eve, I did add some shares of Apple, which is my way of playing this late year-end rally here. This is a short-term trade. Scott, you and others know I'm a long-term investor, but once in a while I get a trade in my eye, a twinkle in my eye, and this is it. I'll be on with you on Thursday. We'll see if I close it out then. We'll see how it goes. But I think you're supposed to play the risk game in both the short and long term here. Long term? Yeah, we're going to reopen. And next year is going to be record earnings on the S&P 500. So that's, that's the story. You're in a kind of safe zone, both short and long term. All right. Apple's about you know, less than $2 away from a 52-week high. Why, though, Jim, expressing your view and your optimism through a mega cap growth stock and not through a reopen stock? You know, it's a good question. I think you start with the answer of you usually are going to express it with something that you know. Apple has been a holding of mine for many, many years. We saw it top out uh, September 2nd after that torrid uh, August rally, and it's been consolidating ever since. But last week really confirmed the breakout that was occurring for a couple of months. I wouldn't be surprised to see this set a new all-time high uh, by the end of this week. The momentum is there. I know the name. And, and Scott, if I get, let's say I get this little short-term trade wrong, I'm not afraid to own a few more shares of Apple for the long term. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable using Apple as my trading vehicle here. Yeah. You know, Josh, trying to play the virus and, and cases topping as, as Tom Lee is, is trying to do uh, is dangerous in, in and of itself. 
I mean, even even Dr. Gottlieb over the weekend, who says, yeah, OK, you may have what looks to be a topping, perhaps uh, a plateau in cases nationally. Hospitalizations and deaths are going to continue to go up because they're lagging indicators. And the next couple of months are going to be arguably the toughest and the worst that we've endured to this point. That makes it more difficult. All that said, there is perhaps an opportunity, as Tom Lee says, and Jim is playing for this short term burst. Do you believe in that or not? I mean, I, I've been talking about a U.N. melt up since like the end of October. So I'm already I'm already in that camp, um, as as the viewers are aware. So I guess the way look, I, I, I think the market has essentially treated the pandemic like a natural disaster rather than an economic event. It had a major impact on the economy, obviously, but the market is, has, has basically shrugged this off as um, the, the same. So I went back and I was reading about the, the San Francisco earthquake at the, the start of the uh, 20th century and the, the follow through in stocks and in the economy, et cetera. It, it turns out is a very uh, similar playbook in terms of the way invest, modern day investors have handled this. So it's like a wildfire. It's like a hurricane, except it happened in every region of the country all at once. Um, but essentially, that's how investors have treated this. And so I'm looking at stocks right now that are breaking out to all-time record highs that are epicenter stocks. Technically, they look spectacular. And we already know the fundamentals couldn't get worse than what they were this year. So the comps get easier and easier and easier as you go through the first half of 21. So Madison Square Garden Entertainment, MSGE. And if the Knicks are a decent team this year, which they beat the Bucks last night, that's a cherry on top. That stock's going higher. Whether you like it or not, it's going up. You can hate the Dolans, whatever. That's an epicenter stock. Nobody got it worse than Manhattan, New York, and nobody has more upside as New York opens. Here's another one. Live Nation is now higher than where the pandemic began. Higher. Breaking out to a record high. Plenty of cash. No problem getting through this. Raised money from the Middle East, did a, a, a bond offering last week at less than 4%. Live Nation is an ultimate reopening stock. I'm already starting to book some concerts for next year personally. Those are areas where I think you can keep making money as this reopening happens. And Tom Lee doesn't have to be right about the cases peaking this week, next week. The vaccine is at hand. People are getting it. And, and that's what these stocks need. And so I think these areas continue to work. One other one, Google. This is a reopening stock. It's the best chart of all the FANG names, hands down. Looks amazing right now. Looks better than Facebook. Looks better than Amazon. It's a reopening stock. 10% plus of annual advertising on Google was travel related. They lost all of it this year. They're going to get back all of it and then some as everybody goes crazy and starts booking trips. I already booked two for this year. So that's the way I see things. That's how I'm invested. What's up? OK, I, I love the way you set that up um, because your view and Jim's view takes us to Jenny, who gives us the opportunity now to express which view she ag agrees with more. Because, yes, you're both positive on the market in the near term and you think we are going to have this melt up. However, you're expressing it in different ways. Jim Labenthal says Apple's the way that's to play right. it. Josh Brown says epicenter stocks and the ones that he named are poised for a big bounce. That's what Tom Lee says. Right. And I'm sorry. Who's right? I'm solidly in the Josh Brown camp on this one. So as you as you may know, I added SL Green. That's my right, girl. Which is the largest owner of what's that? 
That's so my girl. It's the largest owner going, of Manhattan office space. Okay, largest owner of Manhattan office space in, in Manhattan. And to me, that, that goes perfectly along with your MSG entertainment. One of the things that I think is interesting is my partner keeps saying, he keeps saying 2021 is going to be less digital than 2020. And that's important. And it doesn't mean that the long-term change, the long-term trend is gonna change on digital. Obviously it's not. But Josh made such an important statement. He said he's already booking tickets for concerts in 2021. And you know what? People are going to buy concert tickets instead of video games next year. They're going to see each other in real life instead of in over Zoom. So you wonder why MSGE is up 7 or 10% or whatever it's up today and why Zoom is down 4.5% or why Electronic Arts is down for like 2% today. That's the reason because it is going to be less digital and the epicenter stocks are going to start to flourish. That SL Green is still down almost 40% on the year. It has a six and change dividend yield. Meanwhile, they issue a special dividend. They increase their dividend. They're buying back shares. There's tons of cash to Josh's other point. A lot of these companies have tons of cash to have gotten them through. So there is a trade here, you know, and there is a tale of two cities in the market. I read this morning um, a Georgetown professor said that the stock market is euphoric, and I want to argue with that. The stock market's not euphoric. There is euphoria in the market. So let's be careful of where there's euphoria, and instead, let's look to where there's not. Let's look to those epicenter stocks. So I'm very much in Josh's camp on what I'm buying here. Well, you don't think, Jenny, I look that to what hasn't you, worked. You don't, well, a lot of the epicenter stocks have worked, and they've worked a lot. The mm. question is whether a lot of it's already in those stocks, and that's why they've worked. It's the time period in which they've worked, right? So you could say Marriott's worked and that it's not, it's not down on the year anymore, but it's also not up 660 or 400% on the year. So it's the relative work and it's the time period over which they've worked um, that I think you need to look at. And you need to look at the valuations on these, on, on what they're trading at. They're much, much cheaper than, say, a Tesla at a, you know, what is it at right now? A hundred times, a thousand times? I don't even know. Um, there's really a lot of stretched valuations out there that give me a lot of pause. Those are what I'm nervous about. I'm very comfortable, on the other hand, very comfortable with my portfolio, which hasn't worked, although you know we're close to flat on the year again. So things like that, how do you define work? What's the time period? What's the relative? What's the relative um, benchmark that you're using to define working? All right, Pete, how are you playing it? Somebody who you know buys a lot of options, does a lot of stuff in the <laughs> short term, short-term markets, how, how do you play this? Well, I think the best way, in my opinion, is there are a lot of names that everybody's been talking about, and I think all those names can work. I mean, going back to Farmer Jim, he's talking about Apple. As you know, just a week or so ago, I was adding to Apple. I continue to add to Apple through calls. I've already got the stock. I continue to add calls because the activity there, Scott, is absolutely outrageous each and every day, looking for more and more upside. So I don't think Jim is wrong at all. As a matter of fact, I think he's right. But to Josh's point um, and Jenny's point, there's a lot of other names out there that can work as well. I think Apple can work to the upside. Apple essentially is like an S&P stock. It, let's be honest. It moves very similar. It's got the same type of volatility and I think it can move to the upside as we move to the upside in the markets. Now, I still look at the Tom Lee idea, though, of some sort of a pullback at some point in time as we get into Q1. 
And I feel like that's almost an absolute at this point, just because the direction and how fast the acceleration of the move that we've gotten, especially since the start of November, has been absolutely extraordinary. So I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can move. I've been positioning more and more in a lot of the different cyclical names. I'm into the material space bigger and bigger. I continue to add in the financial space as well. And you can look at some of these names. Take a look at like a Goldman Sachs and, and the move that it has made over the last even just a couple of weeks or so, Scott. Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, a lot of these various names that were somewhat left for dead. The financials were stuck in mud for what seemed like forever. And suddenly they've had this explosive move to the upside, along with energy and, as I mentioned, materials. That's and I part think of my energy, point, though. The case of energy. This part of my yeah, point, Pete, okay. is the, a lot of those groups and names have already moved yeah. a lot because they've already anticipated they, what's ahead. It raises the question of how much is the, really left. Well, I, I think that all comes down to the valuation of some of these names and what they, what they look like in terms of their financials. I, I tell you, Scott, I think the most important thing is we bought time. And why did we buy time with all this stimulus constantly that we've been going trillions and trillions of dollars? We bought time so that we could get to this point in time where we are now. And those with great balance sheets, I think, will continue to the upside. Does anybody have a better balance sheet right now than the financials? We've been watching the 10-year. Is it starting to move a little bit higher? And, oh, by the way, it's not even as much about the 10-year with some of the financials. I'm not saying just banks. I'm saying financials because trading, trading is off the chain, Scott. When we look at what the volumes look like day in and day out, we had a half day this past week on Thursday. We traded 21 million option contracts. That would have been a big day last year. The average was about 20 million, 21, but that was a half day. So just get a little bit of an idea of how much trading is going on. That's why I think you're seeing Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, some of these names that are exploding to the upside. I don't think it's over. I think we'll continue to see very, very active trade in the markets as well. So I think there's a lot of different areas. That's, that's basically going towards the financials. But I'll tell you what, you look at energy, how about the fact that steadily we've watched oil go from where it was in the 30s all the way up now today earlier and now it's pulled it back a little bit but earlier we were pushing 49 the price of crude so is that over with i don't think so and a lot of those names still have a lot of room to the upside even though they've made moves already all right steve weiss are you cautious near term or not no i'm not uh, i think that the cautious event will be the georgia runoffs and so that's why i took out a bear spread on on the queues uh basically the nasdaq but you know, I don't disagree with what was said by anybody. Tell people what a bear spread is. I think Steve, tell people what a bear spread so is. I'm bear sure spread some of our is, viewers are scratching their heads on. Right. What is that? Okay, so a bear spread is that I'm taking basically protection because I think that the market can trade down. So I'm long one put and I'm short another put. I'm in Pete's world on this. So that's a way of saying, okay, I think the market, in this case the Qs, can trade down maybe 10%. But I'm, but I'm actually trying to cap my losses in doing it, which is the differential between the price of the long and the short put. And I'm also capping my upside. So it's, uh, it's a hedge, pure and simple. So I don't get hurt a lot, but I get protection if it goes down to a certain level. Well, I didn't hear anybody but Steve. Um, so I, 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 Steve, I didn't hear anybody but, but you talk about the, the Georgia runoff. You think people are too complacent about, yeah, well, about that day? Well, they will be talking about it. I think they are, and I think it's complacent on a short-term basis, because as I said before, keep politics out of it. If you get a sweep in Georgia, you get both seats, and then you have 
a Democratic Congress and Democratic presidency, I think you see much more spending on another COVID relief bill, on an infrastructure bill. So I'm playing the reopening trade that way. So I understand what Josh is doing, what the others are doing. I agree those stocks still have some room in them, but I'm looking at it a different way. I'd rather buy stocks where the price, with the price where it's below where I see the fundamentals. So I'm seeing the price catch up to the fundamentals versus doing the others where you've got to see the fundamentals catch up to the price. So that doesn't give you much room. The intrinsic values are much lower than those, right. in my opinion. I'll tell you. So I'm staying. So I'm fairly fully invested otherwise. I'll tell you what's interesting is, is this, this CNBC stock report that we do periodically where we survey, you know, a bunch of contributors who come on this network, financial professionals, strategists, the investment committee on what they think is going to happen in the months ahead, the many months ahead, whether it's individual stocks that are going to do better than others, um, where they're currently positioned. How about this? This is the first part of this survey that's being revealed on the network, this on our show today. What stock is going to be the best performing investment in 2021? Tesla, Amazon, Apple, and also asset classes included in there too. Bitcoin and ExxonMobil. Okay, we gave people that. We said, okay, which is going to be the best performer? Tesla, Amazon, Apple all came in 13%. Bitcoin was 26%. ExxonMobil, ExxonMobil. 35%. Josh, what do you make of that? It would be poetic um, if this was a year where cyclicals far outperformed innovation, you know, uh, tech and uh, oil was more important for your returns than the cloud. I mean, I think it would catch a lot of people off guard. I don't think most people's portfolios are aligned that way. You could destroy the S&P 500. Like if you're an active manager, and you're being judged against the index, and that ends up being the case, that Exxon wins, that means all the other oil stocks win. Those stocks are tiny in the S&P, so you could destroy the index if that's the game that you're playing. Um, my answer to that, I, I think, I think uh, probably the easiest bet in there is Bitcoin. Like, th there's no law of physics governing whether or not that just goes to $50,000. Like, there's, not, there's nothing stopping that from happening. Um, so, like, if I were to place a bet on one of these, like, what gives you purely the most upside, not worrying about volatility or anything else, I would just say, like, that's the easier bet. Hmm. The tough bet to me is Amazon, and I own Amazon. I don't think Amazon's going to uh, be the best performer in, in 2021. It doesn't change how I feel about it as a long-term investment. I've been in it a long time. I've done very well already. It almost doesn't matter how it does this year. But I would say that's the toughest bet is that this year is going to look a lot like 2020. I don't think it will. Yeah. You know, Pete, you actually own Exxon. You know, I'm sure you're, you know, you, you hope this is right. But I'm wondering if you agree with the call in and of itself. That is a phenomenal question, and I don't agree with it. <laughs> I, I love the name, and I think there's upside here, but I think there are other names that have more upside, and I'm, I'm a part of some of those names, Apple. Uh, John, as you know, outlined just a week ago or so some of the positions that he and I have been together partnering up uh, from a Bitcoin cryptocurrency sort of an area as well. So I think that there are other areas that can outperform. But that being said, I bought Exxon because I do think it's going higher. I just don't know 
what sort of uh, a trajectory it really has, Scott. I mean, certainly it's a name that got beaten. It got beaten to a pulp. And as I mentioned just a little while ago, I do like the energy space, but uh, I, I like it for the fundamentals of Exxon. I think those are solid. I think there is upside, obviously, but at the same time, this is, this is one of those areas where I think there are other spots that probably have a better trajectory. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of in Josh's camp. I don't know if, if necessarily Amazon is in that category, but I think there are other areas that, that certainly have much more potential upside, and part of that has to do with short interest and people fighting against the trend and all the rest of that, but I think it's a quality name, and that's, that's why I bought it. I already had Chevron, so I've got the two biggies in my portfolio. I've got a whole lot of beta names in the energy space as well, Scott, where they're the next tier down, but they make extraordinary moves, both up and down. I get it. But um, I think the potential for those to the upside really is something that could really start to kick in. Jenny, how would you answer that question? The best performing investment of 21 with those names and uh, the Bitcoin um, included in that? Yeah. So you can probably guess which one of those I chose in the survey when I took it, and it was ExxonMobil. And it goes to what Steve was saying before, which is what he's looking for is where the fundamentals are already there, and now he's waiting for the price to catch up. So when Pete was talking about Goldman, I think something really important to remember there is Goldman, yes, it's worked, okay, but it's still only up 13% on the year. It's trading at 11 times earnings. It's had phenomenal fundamentals. There's room for the price to grow into the fundamentals versus the other ones on that list to me where the, you know, the price is already here and now you need to hope and pray that the fundamentals, that the earnings, that the revenues grow at, at crazy levels to catch up to the price. So mine was an easy vote on Exxon there, although it certainly wouldn't be my top pick if I had a broader universe to choose from. Farmer Jim, how'd you vote in this? And Bitcoin? Oh, I'm sorry, Jenny, Jenny, go ahead quickly, please. <laughs> no, no, I just, one quick thing on Bitcoin. <laughs> on Bitcoin, I'm never gonna choose that because to me that's a speculation, that's not an investment. There's no intrinsic value whatsoever to Bitcoin. All that is is a reflection of other people's behavior and emotions and what they wanna do. There's nothing actually created. There's no dollars created by Bitcoin. Okay, okay. okay. I mean, there were people would dispute that. <laughs> There's some very big, big names and popular names who are, who are placing their bets in Bitcoin. Farmer Jim, how'd you vote? Okay, Exxon, listen, I voted Exxon Mobil, okay? I don't own it right now because I own Marathon Petroleum and that's a short-termer wow. where I'm expecting them to close the sale of their Speedway. But let me fill out, you know, I may switch from Marathon Petroleum once it goes through what it's gotta go through with this sale. I might switch to Exxon Mobil and here's why. There's two very big reasons. They took a $20 billion write-off a month ago, $20 billion, and the stock went up, okay? I don't care what you think about fossil fuels. I don't care what you think about any stock. When a stock writes off $20 billion and goes up, that's a stock that's going higher. It doesn't matter why, that's just historical patterns. The second thing is, take a look at crude oil. We're in the upper 40s and it's staying here. And OPEC Plus is showing enough discipline to keep it there. You get that on top of the reopening. And I think ExxonMobil, it's a bit of a sleeper. People are going to hold their nose. But you may see me owning that after I get what I need out of Marathon Petroleum. Uh, we'll, we'll see what the dollar does, too. You know, the, the dollar weakening this point. year has been quite a story. And if that continues, that's going to be positive more than likely for the price of crude. The other uh, idea I want to tackle with, with all of you is sort of this, this outlook of what next year is truly going to be for, you know, our viewers' money. And, you know, Brad Gerstner was on our program last week, uh, the founder of Altimeter, smart guy. And, 
you know, he's been largely positive, certainly since the lows in March until now. And we talked about what the outlook was for 21. And he frankly surprised me that he was a little more cautious than I expected. Multiples are stretched. He said they're going to have to consolidate. Let's listen to what he said about the outlook for 21. And we'll kick it around on the other side. Brad Gerstner. There's no doubt in my mind that the new normal is going to look a lot like the old normal and that all of us want to get out of our houses. We want to spend. We want to engage in live music. We want to engage in, in, in our vacations and interactions again. That's going to be a huge tailwind to the economy. But all of that could be true and the market could still go down. Right. The market is a discounting mechanism. We already know that is going to occur. All right, Weiss. What do you think of that take from, from Gerstner when you are getting a lot of calls about a boom and the roaring 20s starting on the other side of this vaccine where Gerstner says maybe tap the brakes a little bit? You know, it depends where you are. So if you take a look at some of Brad's holdings, Snowflake, for example, which is, which is a decent-sized position for him and where he's been very visible, take a look what those stocks are doing today. Take a look at what they're doing for the last week. The bloom's off the rose on some. Now, I don't think they're going to crash and burn, but definitely some of the fluff is coming out of them. Take a look today. You've got DoorDash down. You've got Snowflake down again. So I think those are very stretched. And those have purely been momentum players coming in without a lawyer sharehold, loyal shareholder base. So, yeah, tap the brakes on those. Take out some protection or even sell them because you're going to be waiting a long time for Snowflake for the, for the valuation to catch up to where it is a reasonable level. So... Look, I still think if you go with stocks, if you have pricing discipline, if you have valuation discipline, and if you look at fundamentals, you're going to do fine. You'll weather a storm here and there, but you have the confidence in doing it. Whereas you shouldn't have any confidence you'll weather the storm in these companies with short-term trading histories. No, I also even, just want to disagree in Exxon. But, but, even, right. you know, but, but even the idea of what Gerstner put forth um, in, in this notion that growth multiples in general, it may not mm -hmm. necessarily just be the snowflakes of the world, but across the board, growth right. multiples have to come in if interest rates go up because of all of the optimism about a rebirth in some ways of the economy. That's that's you know, that, that could have broad implications on the way that people invest next year. I, I agree, but I think where there's greater risk, frankly, is in the industrials and the companies that continually have to fund their businesses that are continually in the credit markets. So when rates go up, you're going to see the market depends where they go up, you know, how far. But if you get to a 2% tenure, even though that's sort of out of the question now, and we've done quite well with that historically, it's always the rate of change and it's always the level that you come from. But to me, growth will survive. So it may come down more initially. But that's definitely where I want to be in companies with fortress balance sheets mm -hmm. that just spew a lot of cash, right. tons of free cash flow, not the mm -hmm. ones like Cat and the others that depend on everybody well, else getting credit in the market. That's not where I want to be. Maybe, maybe the other side a little bit to Gerstner is, is Ed Hyman, the Evercore uh, ISI chairman, who you know, is, a, is a must listen to really whenever he talks, but especially at the end of a year looking ahead. He was on the network a little bit earlier. Here's what he said. I want to talk about this on the other side as well. I think it's going to be a boomer year. It's going to be a boom year for the economy and a good year for the stock market. Uh, the, the key issue in my mind is the stimulus in the system. 
right? So, Josh, Brad Gerstner could be right about everything he said about, you know, multiples are stretched. However, you do have all of this stuff in the system from the Fed, and that, with the pent-up demand, is going to cause a Hyman, Ed Hyman boom in, in the market, in the economy. Do you agree? Yeah, because I think people people uh, don't focus on like five and ten year normalized earnings or, or anything like that. I think when people buy stocks, like maybe the people on our panel are smarter than the average investor. But so I'm just talking about like how do most people make decisions in the markets? I think when they see a comp, like the comps that we're going to get from a lot of uh, the bottom half of the S&P 500 this year, or let's say the whole Russell 1000. So for most American companies, their comps are going to be screaming higher in the first two quarters of this coming year because they're comping against literally like the worst lockdown pandemic in 100 years. So I think people aren't going to say, well, that's just a recovery from last year. Yeah, we get that. People are just going to say, look at these numbers and be really excited and buy. So I'm sympathetic to that boom argument. Uh, and then in Steve Weiss's scenario where you actually get uh, the Democrats with Kamala Harris in control of the Senate, and you get a bigger uh, spending package, et cetera. All right, I, I, I could see that. And then the other part of me, though, wants to agree with what Brad says, which is like the market is, is discounting a year in advance. So if we're already worried about rate hikes in 2022, at some point during 2021, then maybe some of the, the, the froth on these multiples has to come down. So I do think it's a push and pull. I do think next year um, could be like one of these years where the first half looks nothing like the second half. Uh, I just, I've never been successful forecasting what the economy is going to do, how the market will react to it a year from now. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone else that's been successful doing that reliably either. So I'm really just focused on what I own uh, and, and the valuations and the fundamentals and not worrying too much about what might happen. Because a year ago today, right. nobody knew that there was a pandemic on the horizon that changed everything anyway. Yeah. And that could happen again. All right, let's take a quick break. We come back. Semi-stock surging this year. A bullish call is on the space now for 2021. We're going to debate some of the biggest names there. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on The Half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Leslie Picker, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. COVID vaccinations are now underway throughout Europe. Under EU protocols, frontline health care workers and nursing home residents are the first recipients, with some government officials also getting the vaccine in an effort to show it's safe. Sunday was the last day at work for the Walter Reed doctor who sharply criticized President Trump's drive-by to wave to supporters while he was being treated for COVID. Dr. James Phillips says he stands by his words and regrets nothing. The contractor that employs him isn't saying why Dr. Phillips was removed from the hospital. An 82-year-old Houston woman is alive today after going to her neighbors because she smelled natural gas in her house. Soon after she left, her house exploded. 
And the crash of a truck carrying a shipment of food turned into a windfall for a nonprofit in Anchorage. 30,000 pounds of damaged but still edible food was going to be thrown away until the owner of the towing company suggested donating it to Beans Cafe, which provides food support to hundreds of people each day. So nice to hear stories like that, Scott. Certainly is. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. All right. Mizuho is making a bullish call today on semis for 2021. They raise AMD's price target to $102. It's one of the top picks for next year. Call of the day. There are a number of good calls in here. Uh, new, new price targets. Uh, applied materials from 82 to 96. Reiterate buy. NXP from 155 to 173. Reiterate buy. Corvo, 155 old, 180 new. Steve Weiss. Qualcomm, 154 to 163. Seagate, 54 to 65. Broadcom, 460 to 480. Lamb Research, 410 to 530. Micron, 75 to 85. Reiterate buy on everything except for Seagate, which is a neutral. Steve Weiss. So here's how you have to look at it. And it goes back to what I've been saying in 5G. Whereas 4G and Gs before it were a mobile-only network, 5Gs is an industrial revolution. And it's a platform enabling technology. And what are the brains of those platforms? The chip stocks, a lot that you mentioned. So you're going to see that. It was pulled forward. It was going to happen anyway. The mistake is just to focus on the consumer, just to focus on the iPhone 12 when you're seeing it everywhere else, making it more efficient, making society more productive, and making things cost less. So the analysis is actually right in the direction but they'll be wrong on the price because we can expect that analyst to come back and the others and raise their price targets again because you're seeing sustainable move higher. higher. So Corvo, yes. Skyworks, yes. Qualcomm, without a doubt. I defy you to find any electronic uh, gimmick or car or anything that does not have brains powered by a semi-chip now. And it goes to the industrial. Mercedes, full 5G factory at their building. So yes, semis are where you want to be. There'll be a little volatility, but it's what you want to own for sure and should be a core part of the portfolio. Wow. Farmer Jim, I mean, to hear Steve Weiss wax poetic about Qualcomm just must make you smile. Look, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> he's right. I mean, listen, Steve and I like to jab at each other, but he's, He's been right longer than I have on Qualcomm, so I tip my hat to him. This report um, has a lot for everyone, has something for everyone. I think we're all going to agree that chips are a cyclical sector. They're the new steel, what steel was in the last century. But there's something for everyone in here, and what I really like is the automotive sector. So it's kind of doubling down on cyclical, right? But I, I think with low interest rates and a booming economy, you're going to get more auto sales, and autos have more and more chips in them. Uh, to do everything from communicate to sense to regulate. NXP Semiconductors is the big gorilla in that space. It's a recent acquisition. Uh, Pete, hate to tell you this, but I swapped out of Intel for it. I'm really happy with NXP Semiconductor. I see it going higher from here on automotion, automotives rather. Pete, you, I can't even remember, Pete. You still own Intel, Pete? I do indeed, sir. Yes. Not happily. And I have, you know, it's, it's something we've talked about on the show and I've, I've been uh, thinking about exactly what direction I need to take with that one, whether I completely exit or something else. But so far I've been hanging in there with the stock. It's basically doing nothing right now, Scott. But what I'm most excited about are the, the ones that I do own outside of that, which is Micron, because they've got a lot more 5G exposure than people 
fully can comprehend. Matter of fact, it's the best performing stock of the group in the last three months. It's up 45%. A really nice move. And I think the combination of that also throw in Marvell because Marvell made that acquisition when everybody was making acquisitions in the semiconductor space, it seemed like. And I, and I think Infi was an absolute steal for them. And the fact that they're getting positioned more, not just in the cloud, but also into 5G. When you look at these names, Scott, all of these names, you see a lot of different companies where the, the PE is very tolerable, their growth rate's incredible, and to the point of, the, of both the other two gentlemen, we're talking about an area in the market that covers not just technology, but it covers automotive, it covers industrial. Yeah, but covers that doesn't mean everything's going to win, though. So, right? That doesn't mean everybody, every name's no, going to win, right? right? I mean, I know you're still thinking Kirk it Cousins mean, is going to lead you to the playoffs one day, Pete, but... You know, not, <laughs> well, not, not to everything's going to work, point, Pete. Though, Scott, 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 not everything's going to work, but right now, just take a look at, for the most part, look at the lead, the top 10 market cap names in semiconductors, and that tells you the story. Take a look at the SMH, that tells you the story. It has been not just a single stock. It's not just NVIDIA. It's not just an AMD. It's across the board. It's NXPI. It's Qualcomm. It's all these various names that, that have sometimes paused while others have run, but most of these names, the big majority of these names, have moved to the upside, and I think there are specific names because of where they're located that actually have much more upside. That's why I'm in Marvell. It's why I'm in Micron. I hear you. I mean, Jenny, Jenny you have applied materials. Yep. You, you have Intel also, sorry to mention, uh, Teradyme and Taiwan <laughs> Semi. Right, but I take a different look at this report. So when I read this report, the key to it really is him saying that he thinks that because of 5G, the semis are going to take a greater, their revenues are going to take a greater percent of GDP. Now, we've had 3G, 4G, social media, cloud, all of that. And guess what? Semi-revenues as a percent of global GDP has remained very, very consistent. So if he's wrong on that, right, that, and actually it's, and I hear Steve's point on this being industrial, not, not, social or not individual, but if he's wrong on the percent of GDP, global GDP becoming bigger, then this kind of falls apart. And what I worry about in this report is I see yet another analyst who's changing their valuation metrics to try and keep up with the prices that these stocks have gotten to, to try to justify them. And I'm skeptical, you know, and one of my skepticisms is I don't think it's been terribly glorious for the past decade, two decades to be an AMD analyst. And now a lot of these guys have had their day in the sun and Wait they're enjoying it. They don't want the party to end. Wait a minute. You, yeah? you mean when a stock goes up a lot, you're not supposed to just raise your price target and continuously do that? You're Crazy enough, to, you're not supposed I don't to think do that? you should. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm unless, of course, you want you your day in the sun to continue. I hope you understand that. I know. No, no, I got that. No, I definitely do. Okay. Unless you want your day in the sun to continue okay. forever, right? And then you do, and you keep the party going. Okay. So, so for example, we actually trimmed a little bit of our Taiwan semi, right? We took a little bit off. We don't want to be pigs and greedy, so we took a little off there. It got too expensive. I gotta go. You know, I had Qualcomm. I sold Qualcomm. I know. Okay. Okay. I got to split. Let me take a quick break. Uh, Coming, uh, we'll come back with Pete's latest unusual activity trades. We'll do that next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, Pete's watching the options market as always. What do you got for us, Pete? I got a great one for you, Scott. I think you're going to be excited about this one. Disney. Now, Disney has made this unbelievable epic run to the upside, obviously, because of streaming. But take a look at what we're seeing here today. 18,000 of this Thursday's expiring options were bought today at the 180 strike. Now, the stock was trading 178. They're buying the 180s. They started off at 70 cents, paid up to $1.50, but that wasn't the end of it. Then they also were buying the 177 and a half strike calls that are just in the money as well, about 8,000 of those. So we've got a buyer of those that both expire on Thursday. Expiration is 31st, of course. So be careful of that. Very, very short term, Scott. I love this. I had to jump in. I love this name. I love this name for a long period of time. I jumped out because I thought it was getting too stretched. It might be a little stretched, but I'm back in the options right now. Like 79 bucks was the low on this name, Pete. And it's uh, 179 now. That's just remarkable. Yeah, it was. It is remarkable. I remember saying once it, anything under 100, you got to buy. But unfortunately, when I was still owning the stock, I think I got out about 145, something like that, and watched this move to the upside. Now I'm back in it with these calls, so I'm a little excited. I think we actually have a little upside. All right, good stuff, Pete. Thank you. Coming up, we're answering your questions next in Ask Halftime. All right, let's answer some of your questions now. First up, Farmer Jim, we have a video question for you from what I think is an eight-year-old trading prodigy in the making. We'll see. Jim? Hi, Scott. My name is Anu Lapal, and I have a question for the investment team. Right now, is it better to invest in Hasbro or Matop for a long-term investment? Due to the pandemic, I am playing a lot of board games, like Monopoly, Uno, and I'm also playing with American Girl Girls. So I just want to know which trade company will perform better after the pandemic. All right, Jim, the pressure's on uh, because Sanvi is not going to take anything less than the pick. <laughs> and the explanation as to exactly why this is the one to do for a long-term investor like she is. She's only eight. Here it comes. Wow. First off, there's a young lady with a future in investing. You're investing in what you know. It's a very important principle. And you're seeing a pattern in terms of more board games being played. Congratulations. Well done. The better pick is Hasbro, in my opinion. All right. There's a few reasons why. One, it's the bigger of the two. 
Bigger is better. Bigger is stronger. I'm talking about size in terms of market capitalization. But also, it has less debt relative to its market capitalization than Mattel does. And finally, Hasbro hasn't gotten back to its pre-pandemic price level, whereas Mattel has. So I see a bright future both for Hasbro and for you. Well done. Yeah, we're going to have to lower our age requirement. <laughs> I don't even know if we have one for the investment committee, but we have to keep a seat, a seat open. <laughs> All right, let's do one more. Josh Brown, we have one uh, for you. Oh. I don't know which one that is. It's on store capital, Josh. I don't have anything in my notes for you, but let's just ask you about store capital anyway. How about that? I am a mega long-term shareholder here. One of the best trades I did this year was doubling my position. Uh, I think it was in the high teens at the time, and now it's back in the 30s. I think this works its way higher. They collected 90% of their tenant re uh, rents in the month of December. So clearly, they've gotten right back to where they needed to be. They raised capital, dividends over 4%. I like everything about this story. All right. Good stuff. Thank you. Silver prices are surging 17% in a month. We'll find out how the futures traders are playing that next move. We'll do it next. All right, it's time for the futures outlook. Silver is breaking back out towards its highest levels of the year as the dollar slides lower. Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg for more on that. Where are we going from here, Killer? Well, it certainly is high-ho silver. I know that's one of Josh's favorite show, The Lone Ranger, and it seems to be not a lonely view. In 2021, silver, gold, and the precious metals will continue to move higher. But short-term here, Scott, I am a little concerned. We've been in a range, so I look at resistance at 27.28. So although I'm still a bull, on silver, although I think it's going to go higher, it's not going to be a straight line. So I want to patiently wait. I want to be a seller. 27.25. We almost saw 27 dollars print today in the March futures contract, but I want to look for that move back down to 26.25. However, I'm being mindful. If we break through that resistance at 27.28, I will have a stop just 50 cents higher at 27.75. All right, man. Good stuff. I don't know if I'll see you before the new year. So happy new year happy in advance. If I don't. Happy New Year and everyone on the desk, Judge. Thank All you. Right. You and your family, too, Jeff. We'll see you soon. Final trades are next. All right, we're back. Let's do final trades. Steve Weiss, you're, you're making some moves here. You're adding to uh, Jumia, which is down 8% as we're I talking. I did. I added to Jumia. less now. Yep. Yeah, and I added, it's down about 20% from the highs last week. And I also added to AY, Atlantic Sustainable uh, Renewable. Both are solid companies, and both are going to do quite well. They'll be star performers next year and years beyond, actually. Okay. Josh Brown, what's your final trade for us today? I'm going to reiterate what I said about Google. It is the best technical setup of all the fangs, and I think it's going to have a great year in 21. Interesting, because it was the underperformer, right, of, of the fang group in 20. I think because of the reason I cited, a lot of the advertisements on Google are about things that people just can't do right now, and that'll change Plus, YouTube had a, a rocking year that'll continue, and Waymo has massive potential, so I really like it. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Jenny? Magellan Midstream, continuing our theme of energy and there being room for the price to grow into the fundamentals. This trades at 10 times earnings, has a 10% yield, and a very, very well-covered dividend at that. All right. Pete? I'm going to give you First Solar, Scott. I, we were talking about energy earlier, obviously going towards the alternatives. I think First Solar is going a lot higher. Okay, and finally, last but not least, Farmer Jim. 
Yeah, I keep coming back to Viacom CBS because it keeps consolidating and moving higher. It's almost quadrupled off of the lows earlier this year. It's ready to go higher now. All right, good stuff. It's good to see everybody. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for watching. The Exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.